Well, good morning and welcome to the Mount. If you are joining us from our Fredericksburg campus, I just wanna say a big hello. So glad you guys are with us. Or if you're here at the Stafford campus, how are you guys doing this morning? Yeah. If you're joining us online, I wanna say, man, we are so glad wherever you have to be joining us from, we would love to know that. You can even just put in the chat what, what city, what state, what country you are joining us with because we are excited to be one church in multiple locations this morning as we start a new series. And so today, we're gonna to begin this series on manhood. But before we dive into it, I wanna take a moment and let you know about an event that's coming up here at the Mount. And just a couple weeks on uh, the 28th of this month, we're having a guys' night. Like, that's where we grunt. Yeah, I heard, I heard, I heard a yeah, I heard some grunts. And so what we're going to do, uh, whether, whatever campus you happen to be at, we're going to gather together as men, as guys, and we're going to spend some time, just a, a quick time of worship and a small time of teaching, and then we're going to go eat some barbecue outside, and then we are going to have a cornhole tournament. Uh, I, I say tournament because you don't know this. We're still getting to know each other, but I'm kind of a big deal in cornhole. And so um, really what I'm saying is you need to invite a friend to this, invite a neighbor, invite a coworker, and who knows, maybe you guys can get the second place trophy because that's really all that's up for grabs at the moment. So yeah, we, I should have just brought it out here with me and we would have been done today and we could have been great. So um, yeah, but man, we would, we would love to see you at this event as we just hang out and as we uh, throw some, some cornhole bags around and see if you guys can get second place. So um, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, like I said, we're beginning a new series titled The Arena. And over the next couple weeks, we're gonna be looking at specifically, narrowly focusing in on what it means to be a man. And now we're gonna be focusing on different arenas or areas of our lives where we as men are called by God, are, are pushed by God, are compelled by God to fight for the things that matter, the things that are important, the things that he values. Now, um, and what I'm gonna do is as we work through this series, we're gonna see that there's one thing in all of these arenas that is very common and sits just below the surface in the life of every single man. Now, you, you might be asking like, Adam, why are we doing this? What about the ladies in the room, right? Like, and I just wanna say kind of upfront, very, very clearly, ladies, women, we love you. You are awesome, you are great. In fact, um, some of the women I know, some of the women at this church that call this place the Mount, you are some of the most spiritually fierce fighters for the kingdom of God I have ever met in my life. Yeah, uh, you, when you, you're like, your faith is so, like, it, it pushes the darkness back. When you pray, like, Satan runs away and heaven opens up and rains down on earth, you, you, the, the way you invest in the, the people in the sphere of your life and pour your, your energy, your soul, your, your spiritual gifts out into them is making a tremendous difference in the kingdom of God. So I want you to say, we applaud you, ladies. We applaud you. You are incredible. But... At the same time, we find ourselves in this incredibly weird moment in American culture, where each and every year, less and less men attend church. Less and less men are engaged actively in the life of the church. Less and less men are serving. Less and less men are leading. Less and less men are engaged in doing the things that maybe God has called them to do. Why? 
I see this and there's statistically every single year the church becomes 0.5 to 0.7% more female every single year. Why? Maybe, just my opinion here, maybe not, not the Mount specifically, but the capital C, the, the American church in general has done a really, really bad job of casting this kind of God-honoring, fire-passionate-inducing like vision that just makes men wanna jump up out of their seats and, and charge the gates of hell with a water gun and swim trunks only to make a difference for the kingdom of God. We've settled and tamed what it means to be a man in the church. And, and, and here's, here's the issue with this. Here's, and so over the next couple of weeks, what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at the different arenas that we, that we fight in. And we're gonna start today though and talk about this, this one thing that exists deep in the hearts of every single man. Whether we believe in Jesus or not, whether we are running from Jesus and have no desire, there is this thing that lives within each and every one of us that affects every aspect of our lives. And so if you have your Bibles with you this morning, go ahead and open to Genesis chapter one. Genesis chapter one, if you have the Mount app, you can follow along right there with sermon notes and there are places for you to store notes and you can see all the scripture references. And so we're gonna be in Genesis chapter one, but while you are turning there, and some of you might not remember this, but in 1992, one of the most watched court cases in American history was in full swing. Marine Lance Corporal Harold Dawson and Private First Class Loudon Downey were accused of the murder of Private William Santiago, and they faced these murder charges in a court-martial. And as the investigation and the, the trial progressed, it became clear that although Dawson and Downey were guilty of the crime, they were given an order from their commanding officer to what they did. And so in one of the more dramatic and controversial moments of the trial, this young JAG lawyer named Daniel Caffey puts Colonel Nathan Jessup on the stand. And the dialogue between these two went something like this. Caffey asked the colonel, did you order the code red? And the judge jumps in and says, you don't have to answer that. And Colonel Jessup says, I'll answer the question. Do you want answers? And Caffey replies, I think I'm entitled to them. And Jessup says, do you want answers? And Caffey gets louder and he yells, no, I don't want answers. I want the truth. And Colonel Jessup says what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, and I quote, he says this. Son, we live in a world that has walls. And those walls have to be guarded by men with guns. Who's going to do it? You you, Lieutenant Weinberg, I have a greater responsibility than you could possibly fathom. You weep for Santiago and you curse the Marines. You have that luxury. You have the luxury of not knowing what I know, that Santiago's death, while tragic, probably saved lives. And my existence, while grotesque and incomprehensible to you, saves lives. You don't want the truth because deep down in places you don't talk about at parties, you want me on that wall. You need me on that wall. We use words like honor and code and loyalty. We use them as the backbone of a life spent defending something. You use them as a punchline. I have neither the time nor the inclination to explain myself to a man who rises and sleeps under the blanket of the very freedom that I provide and then questions the manner in which I provide it. I would rather you just said thank you and went on your way. Otherwise, I suggest you pick up a weapon and stand post. Either way, I don't give a blank what you think you are entitled to. <laughs> 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 
For those of you that are still catching up, that's from a movie. Uh, <laughs> a Few Good Men, I recommend it. But I, I saw this movie for the very first time when I was 13 years old. And that moment right there, as I watched it, I remember thinking something inside me stirred. And I said, that's the kind of man I want to be. A man who stands up. A man who protects. A man who defends. A man who's not afraid to make the hard decision to maybe even at times, and this was 13-year-old me, do the wrong thing in order to do what is ultimately good for something else. I, I saw this, and this was this, this image, this, this paradigm of manhood that stuck with me. Men, what about you? What's the image that when you think of being a man, what's the image that comes to mind? Women, when you, when you think of a man in your life, because we all have men in our lives, right? We wish we didn't, but we all do, right? We, well, maybe, what's the image that comes to mind for you? What does it mean to be a man? Is it the picture of an outdoorsman who is skilled in hunting and fishing and wears flannel and has a beard and maybe even wears a beanie and knows how to survive in the wilderness for days on end and can come back with a deer and not only kill it, but cook it and provide for his family. Is that a man? Is it a man who's capable of remodeling and building a house? He knows that he can go to the local hardware store and he knows exactly without watching YouTube what supplies to buy, what things to take home, and how to use it and how to build and provide some place that lasts for legacies. Or is it the man who has the most amazingly green and perfectly striped yard? <laughs> like you walk by it and you're like, those lines are so crisp, man. Woo! Or is it the picture of someone who dutifully works every single day, even in a job he might not like, to provide for his family because that's what existence as a man is about? What does it mean to be a man? You see, there's, I think there's a lot of confusion in our culture today about what it means to be a man. And I'm not talking about like, Toxic masculinity, I mean, everything's confusing around right now, but like just some of the questions I've been thinking about over the last couple weeks is, okay, what does it mean to be a man? Are we supposed to be powerful or are we supposed to be gentle? Are we supposed to be strong or meek? Are we supposed to be loud and, and bold or are we supposed to be shy and quiet? Are we supposed to be emotional? Are we supposed to be passionate or are we supposed to be controlled? calm and reserved? Are we supposed to love sports? Are we supposed to grill meat? Are we supposed to wear suits? What does it mean to be a man? Because here's the reality, each and every one of us, whether we are a male or a female, we have this mental image, this mental picture, this paradigm of what it means to be a man in the 21st century living in America. And for those of you that don't know, I'll give you a definition and it'll be on the screen up here, a paradigm is a set of rules that define boundaries and tell you how to succeed within those boundaries. For instance, a sentence might say, London in the summertime. A paradigm is a set of rules, it's boundaries that tell you how you are to behave, how you are to act. It is the rules and the regulations, the unspoken word of what it means to be a man living in American culture in the 21st century. But here's the problem with paradigms, these images that we create. 
is so often those paradigms, those images that we hold as the prototype, as the ideal, we become so accustomed to them, so used to them, that sometimes we miss other things that are outside of those paradigms. For instance, how many of you just with a show of hands at all of our campuses, on that slide that was just up, you recognize that in that final sentence, the word the was in there twice. Your brain has a paradigm. It is trained subconsciously without thinking. When you see a sentence, you assume a certain sentence structure, therefore you read it that way. Over 80% of us in the room read it as London in the summertime, when in reality it said London in the, the summertime. And this plays out in our lives every single day as men. We have this, this, this paradigm that tells us what it means to be a man. And so we are dutifully drudging forward, walking through life, listening and following, staying within the boundaries of what is expected of us. And I just, I just wonder, what are the paradigms that we've been given around manhood that maybe aren't really that true? For instance, maybe there's the, the nice guy Jesus paradigm. This is the paradigm that says, it's this picture we paint in church that says manhood, if Jesus is the prototype man, he's the man for those of us that are, that are Christians that follow Jesus, if Jesus is the model, the example, the prototype that we are supposed to live up to, then who was Jesus? Jesus was this meek, mild, poor, Galilean carpenter who, who loved his mom. He, he was emotional and sensitive and he loved children and loved to hang out with sheep. Jesus was the guy, if it was in modern world, he would be on, on I-95 and he would be stuck there forever because he would consistently just be waving people in, letting everyone get in front of him and never go anywhere. It's this paradigm that we live by that says to be a man who's a Christian, I need to be gentle and meek and mild. I need to love children and I need to be emotional and I need to have sheep and all these other things. But here's what's amazing to me. When you look at scripture, yes, Jesus is full of love. He's full of grace. He's full of this personality that will go out of his way above and beyond to help the least of these. But also, don't miss this, at the very same time, in the very same body, he is a fierce warrior. He is the same Jesus who took the pain of the cross he is the same Jesus who laid down his life regardless of what it felt like to serve. He is the same Jesus who rose from the grave. The same Jesus who is returning, not as a defeated lamb, but as a conquering lion who will ride down from heaven on a horse with a sword and conquer the enemies of God. He's not just meek and mild and humble. He's also fierce and strong and brave. He is much different than this nice guy, Jesus. Or maybe another paradigm, and this one has had a huge influence for a season on my life, and I'll just be honest throughout this series because I'm not up here speaking someone who's an expert on being a man. I'm speaking from somebody who is living in the valleys of manhood right now, who is learning what it means to follow Jesus in the midst of this. And so one of the, the paradigms that has influenced me is what I will call the, the wild at heart paradigm. 
And there was, there was a book that came out years ago, and the concept of the book said basically that men, because when God created Adam, it says he created him and then put him in the garden. And the, the conversation then said, therefore, Adam or man was created outside of the garden, and then God put him in. And so as men, as Christian men, as people who follow Jesus, we are made, we are born outside of the garden. We are born to be wild at heart, adventurous and rugged and full of pursuits of things that bring us to life. But modern society, the garden, has left us domesticated. And what you've seen is for years now, men in the name of following Jesus have neglected their families gone from job to job to job, selfishly sought pursuit after pursuit after pursuit because they would say, honey, mom, I'm wild at heart. But here's what's interesting. If that's our paradigm, God put Adam in the garden, which means the garden was God's will. It was the place God wanted man to be. He gave him a covenantal relationship with his creator, a covenantal relationship with creation, a covenantal relationship with another woman. And he said, you have a responsibility and a duty to live out the God-given place that I have placed you in. But some of us, if we are always wanting to be wild at heart, we can neglect our friends, neglect our family, neglect our clears because we are saying, I am not made to be tame, but in scripture we were placed in the middle of God's will, which was a garden that was domesticated. You see, paradigms help us understand how it means to be a man. But here's the reality. We are confused. And maybe you're like, I'm not confused. You are. <laughs> Just every man I've ever talked to in my last 20 years of ministry, when they really are honest, they say, I'm confused. I don't know what it means to be a man and I, there's this fog that surrounds me and I, I lack clarity and I, and I don't know what to do and so without clarity I lean on these, these guest paradigms, these things that I, I hope or think will be right and because of this, a lot of men, a lot of us, we are struggling. In fact, maybe you're here today whatever campus you are at and you're struggling deep inside. Maybe you're just disappointed with life right now. You had this vision, this hope of what your life could be or would be or should be. And right now it feels less than. And it's hard and it's difficult and you're just, what started as something so full of potential and purpose is now just duty and obligation. Or maybe you're just drifting. You're just reacting to whatever comes your way. There's a whole list in your mind of things you ought to do. And your whole life is reacting to that list, doing the things that you ought to do, but never fully living an abundant, flourishing life. Maybe you're just lonely. Here's the reality. We live in the most connected time in history. But men are the loneliest they have ever been. We can have hundreds or thousands of friends 
or acquaintances, but no soul-level connection on an intimate level. Maybe, maybe you've made a big mistake lately. And you think deep inside, if someone finds out, it's over. I'm done. Maybe you're carrying a lot of pain. Maybe there's been a a situation or a circumstance or something that happened in your life and it's caused this this immense pain internally, mentally, and emotionally. And as as a man, you you, you know you're told the paradigm is you don't don't talk about that pain. You don't share that pain with others. And so what you've done to to numb the pain, to to escape the pain, is you've turned into being a a workaholic or you've turned into alcohol or you've turned to pornography or you've turned to an adulterous relationship or you've turned to something, something, anything that would just help numb that pain that you are feeling because the circumstance in the situation is just too much and too hard and you need an escape. You need to get back out into the wild away from the domesticated garden. And here's the funny thing about us as men. We are certain, like beyond a shadow of a doubt, that we are the only one who feels that way. That we are alone in that feeling because everybody else is waking up in the morning. In our mind, they're living out the paradigm. They're waking up in the morning and they're meeting their kids downstairs before school even starts and they're doing a family devotional or they're sending them encouraging words and they're sending them off to school and they're commuting to work and they're doing the best they can at their job and they are surviving and thriving and flourishing and they are coming home and they are playing with their kids, spending time with them. They are actively serving in their community and still when the day is done, they still have time to sit on the couch for two hours hours and share their emotions with their wife without being tired and they will even give back rubs with no expectation because those are the men who are amazing and incredible but listen you are not alone men hear me very clearly this morning you are not alone in your pain You are not alone in your struggle. You are not alone in your confusion, your isolation, your loneliness about what it means to be a man who follows Jesus and loves God and also loves his family and his work and the world and society and balances and juggles all of those different things. You are not alone. In fact, I would say you are so far from being alone in the struggle that this morning what I wanna do is I wanna show you one thing that is deeply embedded within each and every one of us as men that unites us with a common purpose and struggle. And so in Genesis chapter one, we see God creating. We see him exercising his power over everything through how he creates. Many of you are familiar with this story. God speaks and the heavens are opened. God speaks and the universe is made. God speaks and plants and animals and humankind. And God speaks and he creates. He has dominion and authority over everything that exists from the very beginning. And in Genesis 1, verse 26 and 28, God, we see this. It says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. 
And God blessed them in verse 28. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and do what? Subdue it. Rule over the fish and the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. God created humanity, mankind, male and female in his image. Does that mean physically that like God is like physically both sexes? No, no, no. It means like spiritually, like male and female, humankind, mankind. We are made in the image of God, which means we are the only thing in all of creation that has spirits. We are the only thing that is spiritual. We have his characteristics, his qualities, and it is deeply embedded. And I want you to hear this inside each and every male and female, mankind, humanity is made in the image of God in this moment. Now, that means that we are capable of things that the rest of creation is not. But in the midst of this, when God tells humanity, man and woman, to rule over creation, he doesn't tell man to rule over woman, he doesn't tell woman to rule over man, he says, as a team, rule over creation, then he gives man a very, very specific task and job in this moment. And he's talking to man only in this moment. Look in Genesis 2, verse 15. Then the Lord took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. God placed man in the garden and he said, man, you have a role. You have a responsibility. And he said two things. First, you are to work it. That word work has multiple meanings in the original language, but based on the context of a garden, it, think of it as an agricultural term. Adam, the original man, was tasked by God to till and cultivate the garden so that it would grow and bear an abundance of fruit. Are you tracking with me? He is to cultivate the soil, to cultivate the land so that fruits will grow, so that trees will grow, so that bushes will grow. His job is to make sure that that garden is growing in abundance and flourishing. Now, some of you might be full-time gardeners or farmers, but the majority of us at our campuses are not. And so what does that mean for us that God said, Adam, man, you have a garden and you are to cultivate it, to till the soil. Here's what it means. is that it means that we as men, we are to be planters, builders, growers, cultivators. And we initially think, yes, I'm building my career, I'm cultivating my job, I'm growing my wealth, but that's, it's more than that. When we are to cultivate, when we are to grow, when we are to build, God gave Adam a garden, an entire sphere of influence and everything that was in there he was supposed to cultivate, which means that as men, we have been tasked by God that the garden that we live in, our sphere of influence, we are to cultivate and grow and make sure that everything and everyone that's key, in that garden flourishes and thrives because of us. Men, that means you have been placed in the garden of your home to cultivate the heart of your wife, to cultivate the faith of your children, to cultivate the strengths of the people who work for you to cultivate, to till, to grow, to make sure that everyone in your garden flourishes and thrives. The second thing, Richard Phillips in his book, he says it this way, the book Masculine Mandate, he says this, and this, I love it, a man's finger should be accustomed to working in the soil of the human heart. 
Men. You say, I don't, I just, that's too feely for me. It's too, it's too emotional. Like, I just, I can't get into that. I, I know. It is against everything that feels natural to me. But it is the mandate that God has given us to cultivate the human heart and those around us. The second thing is God says to take care of it. That phrase, take care, and depending on the, the version of the Bible you're reading, it could say to watch over, to keep, to, to guard, or I love the word protect. It's a word that's used of, in the Bible of, of princes and kings and shepherds and, and generals and, and Roman governors. And they are to protect, to guard, to keep, to watch over, to take care of the things that are under their care, everything in the garden. And men, you have been given a garden and from the very beginning, God has given you the task of keeping watch or protecting it from the injustice that can occur. Not to sit by idly and allow harm to come to others. Adam was given this task, this job. He was told to cultivate and protect the garden. Fast forward one chapter, and some of you are familiar with the story, maybe you're not. Satan in the form of a serpent comes up to Eve, Adam's wife, and says, hey, I know that God told you you can do whatever you want in the garden. He said, just don't touch that tree, but guess what? That tree's good. And so Satan begins to, to tempt Eve to eat from the tree. And in Genesis 3, verse 6, the first part we see this, the story. It says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she did what? She took and ate. In other words, Adam failed. He was tasked with protecting the garden. And he failed. He was tasked with cultivating and guarding everything in that garden. And he failed. And now I know what you might be thinking. You're like, dude, give the guy a break. He can't, like, he can't be guarding Eve 24-7. Eve had some responsibility in this. Eve's the one to blame. Eve's the one that we need to say sin. Eve's the did this, 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 and this. Adam was probably doing something, right? Like Adam, most likely, Adam was out hunting because he was a man. He was out in the wild of the garden. He was wrestling a bear with his bare hands. He was stabbing it with a broken stick because he didn't have weapons. He was, he was doing something manly. Maybe he had just captured the meat and he was making a giant fire because from the very beginning, man liked fire and he was cooking it so that they could eat it. Adam was doing something because we know in our minds, right, men, don't disagree with me, we know that if Adam would have been there, he would have stopped this from happening. Because we think, we put ourselves in this story, and we say, if I was there, and dude, if that guy tried to tempt my wife or my kids, I would jump up out of the bushes, and I would tackle that snake, and I'd fling it around like this and throw it, because I would protect and guard and cultivate the thing that God has told me to watch out for. Look at the end of that verse. The woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. Don't miss this. Adam was standing right next to her the whole time. 
He wasn't hiding. He wasn't doing something else. He was with her. He failed to protect her. When Satan started talking to her, he failed to step up and step in. Adam sat by passively. And here's the reality. Since that day, every single one of us who are a man, we have been following in the footsteps of Adam. We have been standing by idly, passive, while the things in our sphere of influence become broken. And I don't have to give you examples. You feel that. You know what it feels like to have that check in your spirit that says, I need to step in and do something in this moment. And you don't. You know what it feels like to want to spend intentional time with your kids in a very specific way. But you don't. You know what it feels like to want to lay down your life to serve your bride. But you don't. Ever since that day in the garden, man has been marked by a passive heart where we know what we should do. We know who we could be, but we fall short. And there's a gap. And that gap eats us alive. Personally, I know what it's like. This is just a silly illustration. I know what it's like to be on the couch reading a book or watching television, to look over and see my wife doing the dishes or doing the laundry or folding things or getting the kids ready for bed and know in my heart I should step up and go help. But I also know in my heart I don't. Men, our life is marked by passivity. Why is it that we can be so focused and determined in areas of life that don't really matter, but so passive and timid and uninspiring in areas that matter? Because we are living in the shadow of Adam. But here's the good news. All throughout scripture, Jesus is described or defined as the second Adam. Romans 5. Romans 5, 7 and 19, or 17 and 19 says this. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? 
Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as, though the, just as through the disobedience of one man we were made sinners, through the obedience of the other man we will be made righteous. Through Adam's passivity, sin entered the world and man became passive. But through Christ's obedience, through his righteousness, righteousness entered the world where Adam failed Christ succeeded. What do I mean by that? Listen, Adam stood by as his garden, the sphere of influence he was in, was under attack. He stood by and just watched it passively happen. But look at the example of Jesus, the second Adam. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 8, it says this, and your relationships with one another have the same mind as Christ. What was his mindset? What was Christ's mindset? That he did not, who, who being in the very nature, did not consider equality with God something to be used by his own advantage. Rather, he what? He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by become obedient to death, even death on a cross. Every single man who is watching or listening will live in the shadow of one. Adam was passive, Jesus was active. You will either be passive or active in your garden. One leads to death and destruction. One leads to righteous human flourishing. Man, which shadow will you follow? And I, uh, here, here's the dilemma. We, we feel this. Like I can be at home with my wife and I, I love her dearly. And there are those rare days, rare, where she's a little emotional. They're rare, they're rare. And in those moments, when she is sitting there or standing there, and she's hurt, and she's frustrated, I'll just give you a little insight into my life. In my mind, I'm thinking, step forward and comfort her. But at the same time, that first Adam is telling me, you're not good enough. You can't do this. She'll figure it out. Just stay back. And every day there is this battle within us where the first Adam is saying, be passive, be passive, be passive. And the spirit of Christ is saying, step in, step in. And here's what I've learned that helps me the most. You know, Philippians 2 says that Jesus made himself humble. He humbled himself. He took that first step. And so what I'm learning slowly as a man who is still trying to figure this out is when there is a situation that makes me feel uncomfortable and I know that I am being passive, before the, the thoughts take over my head, I am practicing the art of leaning in. Because here's what I know. When I lean in, the rest of my body follows. Men, how much different would your life be if you just leaned in? How much different? Your families, your marriage, your career. Because you will live in the shadow of either Adam or Jesus. One step back, one leaned. 
And here's what I know. The very same power that leaned in and died on a cross and rose from the grave lives in you. You are a warrior. You are a fighter. You are not made to be passive. You were created by God to lean in, to cultivate and protect the things in your garden. Men, stop being passive and lean in. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your son, for his, for his obedience, for his move to lean in towards a broken humanity. As we continue praying, maybe you're here this morning at any of our campuses, man or woman, if you're being honest, there are some areas in your life where you're passive. You know in your heart God's asking you, calling you, you feel it, the desire to step forward and you step back. I'd love to just pray for you. So just in a moment of transparency, if that's you, if you're saying there's, mo there's moments and areas of my life where I'm passive, would you just raise your hand right where you are? Hands all over the room. Heavenly Father, I pray for every hand that is raised that you would kill the old Adam. That we would remember the Romans verse that says, the old Adam is dead because the new is in Christ. And we have the power, the strength, the courage to not remain passive, but to step in, to step forward, to lean in to you and what you are calling us to do. God, I pray that you would give us the ability to cultivate, to keep, to protect the garden that you have surrounded us with the way you have called us to do it from the very beginning. As we continue praying, maybe you're here this morning and if you're saying, Adam, I'm just gonna be honest with you. I am not in Christ. My life is the old Adam. I am dead in sin. I am stuck under the, the wages of sin. I am filled with death and shame and regret and condemnation. And I know I'm selfish and I know this and I, my marriage is not good. My career is not good. My, my kids are not good. Whatever it happens to be, let me just tell you that Jesus loves you so much, that God loves you so much, that he didn't wanna leave you in that state of, of disgrace, that state of shame and guilt. He sent his son to die for you 2,000 years ago to be brutally murdered on a cross for your sin, your punishment, your shame. And then he powerfully rose from the grave, overcame death for you so that you could overcome everything in your life that is holding you back through his power and life with him. And all you have to do is believe. And so if you're here this morning, just in this, this act of boldness in this moment, if you wanna surrender your life to Jesus, the new Adam for the very first time, would you be bold and just raise your hand right where you are? If your hand is raised, whatever campus you happen to be at, I just want you to pray this prayer with me. Father, I am a sinner and I need you. I need your love and your grace. Jesus, come into my life. Make me new. 
be my king. Today I turn, I repent, and I run to you. And everyone said, amen. Church, we're gonna move into a time of worship. I just wanna let you know that our prayer team will be up front at all of our campuses. Maybe today, what you need is to acknowledge you're trying to do it alone and you need someone else to pray with you. I would encourage you to come and see one of our prayer people. If you made that decision to follow Jesus today and you didn't raise your hand, there is a QR code on the back of the seat in front of you. You can scan that code and let us know. We would love to get in contact with you and help you take your next step in following Jesus. Church, let's stand and worship.